What was the first thing you noticed about me? Well, you were pretty loud. Um, you're really pretty, kind of almost intimidating in some ways to me. Uh, yeah, I think that's, that's what teenage James thought back then. What things about me make you know I am the one for you? I think one of the main ones is just the love that you show me. Uh, I always think of God's love for us when you show me love and just the every day. You're always forgiving. You're always gentle and kind and patient. Do you ever get jealous if you see me talking with other attractive people? No way. Just look at me. <laughs> you made this guy. <laughs> <laughs> so you're saying you're more attractive than other people? No, I just I have a lot of confidence in myself. That's good. Yeah. When do you feel most loved? I think I feel most loved when I get quality time with you, your undivided attention, and just uh, no distractions and no no frustrations or things from the day of just let go and that you've let go of your frustrations and just get to be together. What excites you about growing old together? Being wise with you and making those differences in people's lives. Cause you know, like seeing the life uh, change that we've already seen now here at the Fountain Springs and even the youth group, uh, being able to see that more and more and maybe even contribute more and more and uh, being wise with other people. I think that's what kind of excites me. From this day forward, what do you vow? I vow to work on myself to be a better wife for you and to not completely get angry and ob obliterate the entire world um, because of me and to put you first more. From this day forward, what do you vow? I vow to love you more and not just the cliche of love you, but love you with my words, love you with my actions. Uh, whether that may be putting away the dishes once I've washed them or doing the chores or um, opening your car door still for you. Um, I, I just want to love you all around with my words and my actions and uh, point you to Jesus. Well, I hope you've been having fun with this series We've been going through what it means to be a married couple that isn't just surviving, but thriving. So if you don't know this, uh, some of the weeks we, we, well, we brought up subjects that, that may have been offensive to children or adults, actually, uh, whatever. And, but we've got into the realities of marriage, and I hope that it's been something that you've not just heard, but you've taken it with you and maybe even applied it to your marriage. All of us have been doing this, so hello to the fellows at RCMU and everyone at East and West, and as a church, even though we have multiple locations, one topic. And so we've gone through the vows, and if you don't know the vows, if you've never been to a wedding ever in your life, or, or if you've forgotten, we summarize out of some of the parts of the vows what we've been talking about. So I'll show them to you. To have and to hold was, that was the, are we really talking about this in church weekend? Uh, if you missed it, go watch it. For better or for worse, you know, the moments that, uh, well, that don't go the way that you wanted them to, 
I know that before you're married, when you're even pre-engaged, you're like, I mean, do, do married people have any issues whatsoever? And it seems like a, a fairy tale. Yeah, better for worse. Pay attention. Now, till death do us part. It seems a bit like morbid at the idea of, hey, this is good till we die. Yay! I mean, it just seems weird that you would say in a moment, in a wedding, right, where everyone's all dressed up and everyone's happy. And, and if you've never caught it or paid attention to it, the fact that in this romantic moment, we talk about death. Some others have used it from different traditions. It's uh, until we part, and it, it, it's talking about when you die. And when I talk to you about this, it brings something up that I need to offer a disclaimer, okay? Uh, in fact, I've prayed a great deal about this, and, and one of my concerns when we go into the topic of a marriage lasting until we die brings up something that I do want to talk about before we really get into this sermon. So as a disclaimer, I would tell you that you should fight for your marriage in a way that you want it to last forever. But if you are in a relationship where you are in danger, that physically and emotionally you are being wounded on a daily basis, do not interpret the idea of till death do us part as a mandate for you to be hurt. Don't take that. Don't let, let anyone ever misconstrue. I would tell you as soon as you can find safety. And if you need help, you're like, I don't know how to do that. Whereas a church would love to walk with you in that. Maybe it's even calling the police. But sometimes we need to have this kind of conversation when we go into this, some of you are going to misinterpret. I don't want you to misinterpret that, yes, we're going to talk about making sure that marriage should thrive and, and you should just do your very best to make it, make it be awesome. But if you're in danger, look at me. If you're in danger, you need to find safety as soon as possible. And then we can have some great conversations on how healing can take place if it can take place. Does everyone understand Okay, okay. I know that seems heavy at first, but it's necessary in, in our broken world. In fact, in a, in a group this size, I'm going to tell you that what I just said applied to multiple people. And so as we press into this, take your hearts and let God do whatever is necessary. So this, till death do us part, you might be wondering, where does that even come from? Is that like the legal way or the church's way to make you never get divorced and make sure that it stays forever. I'll show you. In fact, it's a verse I've already read to you, but I'll show it to you. So Pharisees came to him to test and they asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Now to give you some context, there were fellas who were the guilty party in this who were just in the mood to have a new wife. Literally like, hey, I just want another wife. And so for any and every reason, they would find out a way to get divorced. We've talked about it multiple times in this church. Sometimes if she burnt a meal, he could divorce her. I know some of you are like, where is he? I'm going to talk to him. But, but, so, so they were divorcing for any reason. They just would make stuff up. Haven't you read? He replied that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh, Right? So pay attention to this last part. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Now, when you're wondering, like, who are these people? Well, it could be you. 
Because when you're in a marriage and if you have a bad day, if your spouse, if you learn after the fact that they just smell bad or whatever, you start to go like, what did I get myself into? And, and what's fascinating, the till death do his part really challenges your perspective on marriage. Because most of us went into it optimistically going, this is the most amazing person ever. They have no negative traits whatsoever. <clears throat> what would you say, day one or two of the honeymoon, you're like, oh, man, that's, how are we going to get beyond this? No? Okay, so just our relationship. Got it. So here's how this works. This messes with some of us. And in fact, this is going to be the message that some of us turn from, hey, it's been a great series so far. Ooh, I don't know if I agree with what David said. <laughs> because this is what challenges, like anything in life. When you decide to end something, when you decide to end anything, the reason why you ended it challenges why you were a part of it. And so I want, I want you thinking at the forefront of your mind, like, what is your view on marriage and how long it's supposed to happen or last? When it's supposed to end, is there an expiration date on a marriage? And most of us would have differing opinions. <laughs> and I can tell you from experience, because I've sat with many couples, who couples with, yeah, we're in this till death do his part, unless. And then we have the unless conversation. <laughs> like, we are locked in, better or worse, blah, 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 unless... Unless there's an affair. If he does that, he's going to die. And so I'm going to honor this contract. This is going to be good. And just, think, just think about this. Whether you're married or not. Whether you're married or not, do not share this with anybody. But whether you're married or not, do you have an unspoken, unwritten, undeclared disclaimer in the vows that you would never tell anybody? But if such and such happened, it's over. Or did you say, or would you say in the vows, till death do us part? It'll challenge your perspective. And let me show you what's being challenged. Do you see marriage as a contract or a covenant? Because this is what's going to challenge us. When you look at marriage, when you look at a relationship between a man and a woman, and they say vows in front of God and people and a pastor or a priest or whatever, and they say, till death do us part, you've got to figure out, do you see it as a contract or a covenant? And whether or not you see it one way, i got to tell you, here's the truth, here's how it is, whether someone explains this to you, marriage is a covenant. It's not a contract. That's just how it is. And, and I know you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. I, I don't understand the difference. Let, let me help you understand contract. See, a contract is, well, it's like when I graduated college, I decided I didn't like paying a mortgage payment. Anyone just not enjoy it? I just didn't enjoy the idea of it. Uh, it was a lot of money that I would just send to people, and I just didn't like the idea. So, so I bought a house, and the only way to not pay it, well, there's multiple ways, I guess, not to pay a mortgage payment, but the only way to do it and actually keep the house was to find roommates to pay the mortgage for me. And so here's how this worked, is I got enough roommates to take care of rent that would cover the mortgage. And so, because I wanted to one day have a house that could fit the whole family and be one that we could have all family come all. And so I needed to start early. So we, I bought a house and got roommates and one of them worked out and one of them didn't. And if you've ever had that experience, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Some of you are going through that right now. So I made him sign a contract, even though I knew him. I made him sign a contract. You're like, you jerk. Okay. But I made him sign a contract. In other words, their obligation to me regarding, well, rent and don't put holes in the wall kind of thing. And then I had to offer back to them that if something broke, that I would repair it. All of us are pretty much familiar with this concept. 
That's a contract. If you're trying to apply that same method to marriage, it's going to hurt you. It's not going to work for you. You might think, well, no, no, actually, uh, she and I, we both agree on this. And I'm going to tell you, in the long term, it doesn't work out well. In fact, I put together a chart for you. A chart? Come on, a chart is fun. So let me show you some of the differences so we fully understand this contract versus covenant. Let me show you the first part. A contract is conditional. It's mutual distrust. You know that's how that works. You're like, well, we didn't say that. No, we both really care about each other. If you've ever been in a business deal, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, uh, mutual distrust. In other words, like, hey, I like you, but I can't guarantee you're going to do everything you're supposed to. And they're thinking the same thing. If you're seeing marriage as this conditional thing, it's going to break apart. It, it's supposed to be unconditional. Mutual commitment. Okay, if that doesn't make sense, let's go to the next one. Motivation. Your motivation is to straight up just get. When you sign a contract with someone, you are doing so not just for their pleasure. You want to get something. In a business deal or roommates or whatever, you're, you're getting something. Motivation is to give in a covenant. Just trying to help you understand the difference between the two. There's more. Let me show you. The contract is a season. Most contracts do not end until death do us part. Just how it works. Covenant is till death. It's till this concludes where we're both literally unable to fulfill that. Show you more. Contract, it's all about protecting me. Covenant protects us. See, sometimes when you go into marriage, like I told you, some folks are like, well, i got to make sure that, that she doesn't get this or he doesn't get that. And so we've got to set up and, and you, you guard yourself in such a way that the relationship is no longer a great relationship. It's, it's a contract. It's where you can, how can you protect the marriage, the relationship? Let me show you another. It's one of my favorite because it's bad math. I did not do well in math, so I enjoy this. Uh, so contract, 50-50. See, some of you, that's what you, I mean, you're thinking about marriage just, is two people come together 50 50. If 50 50, guess what 50 50 adds up to? Anyone gonna do this math in your heads? 50 times 250. It's 100. It's 150. And so you think that's how that should work, is, is it's a math problem. And, and if two people, they bring the same amount, it's 100%. No, the better is 100 by 100. Now, I know if you're like a nerd on math and stats, you're like, David, that, that doesn't. Mm -mm. 200% is impossible. I, I get that. But I'm going to tell you, a covenant is where both go 100%. Both are invested equally. Both are going at this as though death can only part us. This is intense if you've ever gotten into the idea. Because our vows say nothing about being loved back. I mean, some of you right now in your head, you're like, wait, no. I said, did I? I said, yeah. No. When you go to a, a ceremony, listen to the words being said. Listen to the words being exchanged. It's not a, hey, here's what I'll do. You do this, I'll do that. Together we're a great team. No, our vow said nothing about being loved back. It's, it's been weird for me to think about that. When I think about what Katie and I said to each other, it was like, all right, whether there's money or not, whether there's, there's health or not, and then this whole like overarching umbrella statement for better or for worse, which is so dangerous. It's, it's all about what you're going to bring. 
not about what you're going to get. And do you know what the number one reason people begin to have the conversation about ending a marriage is? It's what you're not getting. And our vows said nothing, nothing. And you, you, this may wreck you. Some of you are like, I'm never getting married, okay? <laughs> I'm, I'm ruining marriage. I'm not trying to ruin marriage for you. But some of us are going, this is intense. And what I want you to get is that, yes, this is intense. If more couples were to get married and know what they were actually doing, I think it would go better. And so if you're up for the idea... <laughs> of saying to another person, doesn't matter what you invest in this, I'm spending the rest of my life investing in you, which is about as dangerous of a relationship as you could ever get, then maybe you're willing to have a deeper conversation. A conversation not about who's not picking their socks up or who's not cooking or who's not this or that. What, how about you and I have a better conversation about how to actually get to fulfilling a vow like till death do us part. So in the Bible, Jesus says something that uh, if you read it right and listen to it well, can revolutionize your life or wreck it. Yes. I mean, Jesus, if you don't know much about Jesus, you ought to. I mean, it's a mission of our churches to show you who Jesus is. But Jesus, who, who is the Son of God, who came to this earth and died for us, he said a lot of incredible things while walking this earth. And he said something in particular that if you will grab a hold of it, even memorize it, somehow just put it in front of you in some way, it could, whether you're married or not, change everything. These words that he said, I mean, he said a bunch of words. They were documented. Multiple people, hundreds of people all around him all the time, writing down stuff. Can you imagine that pressure? Writing down stuff. He's saying, like, hey, this is going on in the Bible, and writing all this stuff. And, and Jesus said something that, that if you will actually not just listen to the pastor read it, but if you will listen to me read it, but press it into your own life as I'm reading it, game changer. If you ignore it, things could stay the same or even get worse. So here's Jesus' words. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. As I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Now, if you're willing to take this and personalize it more than just friendship, but walk it into a marriage, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's spouse. This is potent. See, this is one of those moments that that many of us have not thought about. I mean, I'll be the same. There's, there's days I walk through life and I'm, I'm just like, it's, it's what others aren't doing for me, what ha should have happened that didn't happen. And, and what Jesus just said, if you'll take it, and literally, married or not, if you'll just press it in, completely game changer. Hey, let me sum it. This is very, sum up, very selfless sacrifice. Now, this is not going to be popular in culture. Listen, so you have to listen to everything I say to you. 
But what if your view of marriage, and until death do us part, if you don't want your marriage to last for very long, then just mute me for a little bit. But if you have the concept or the dream, or if you want to have your heart stay together, then listen to the idea of a selfless sacrifice perspective where you and I lived completely radically different, where when you wake up, live the day, and go to bed, that your whole intention for the day was to give up things and options, dreams for them. Selfless sacrifice. It's not about what they're investing in. Are they fulfilling their contract? See, many people say, I want to know how to make this marriage last forever. Tell me what they should be doing and how I keep them accountable to it. It's not that way. And many of us are looking for the, the tip, right? Tell me that one little thing that if we just adjust it a bit, things will get better. And I would tell you, you know, you need to go to the core of what this relationship is. That's why we're talking about it now. The core of this relationship is selfless sacrifice. And that's why I'm telling you, do not mess with the idea of marriage. Because with it comes some of the greatest rewards in life. Every single day having someone that you sacrifice for. Now, at first you're like, that does not sound like a great, fun, exciting relationship. Ah, but it is, because it's the only relationship that gives you such an incredible perspective of Jesus. Let me take you back. John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friend. If you've already forgotten what preceded that, do you remember when he said, okay, here's how you do marriage. Love each other the way I love you. This has been one of the most profound, one of the most profound moments in my life regarding my marriage. Where I stopped looking and thinking about and dwelling on what's not awesome and considering what has Jesus done for me. Here's the wording, I'll just change it a bit. Save your sacrifice. Save your sacrifice. If you read anything, if you have any conversations at work, at school, if there's any contention, marriage, is it not one of the hot topics nowadays? And I know some people think it's a political conversation, and I know some folks think it's about who you elect, and, and, and we think that that's the issue, and if we could just get back to our nation being about certain things, can I just raise my hand, or at least be the one on stage that gets to raise his hand, and say, we're missing the point and the value of marriage. Do you know why marriage is such a hot topic? I'll show you. <laughs> marriage is meant to display Jesus. Just think about it for a second. Why does it even exist? I mean, God's the one who, who made it and invented it. Why is it so hotly contested? I would tell you because it is the primary human relationship that puts Jesus on display. And we are displaying Jesus to a culture who doesn't know much about Jesus. And if you think that, oh, yeah, you preach it, David, it's Christians who have not shown people who Jesus is. And I would tell you one of the most profound things for me in marriage, if you, if you, please just let me get this personal with you. 
I love my wife, but how I see her must be through the eyes of how do I display Jesus. Marriage is meant to put God up on a pedestal and for you and I to walk into a room and for people to talk about your marriage and my marriage and say, isn't God amazing? And that's what the intention was, not just for us to figure out, well, I need a roommate long-term, and if they could invest and provide some income into this, and, and if we could have sex and, you know, let's have a family and go. No, it wasn't, that was not the sole intention. And in fact, if you read through your Bible, oftentimes you'll see how, how God refers to the church and, and his relationship with people, and he uses the context of marriage. And some of us, are, our marriages are not what they're supposed to be, and it's not because of some chore issue or work issue. It's because Jesus isn't displayed. One of the questions that has been wrecking me is the idea of asking my wife, do I remind you of Jesus? Oh, there's days that I'm like, I'm not asking you that. But if you want to have a thriving marriage, one that changes the world, ask a question like to your spouse, when I'm in the room, when we argue, oh, when I talk to the kids, the way I do our checkbook, honey, do I remind you of Jesus? One of the most dangerous but life-altering questions you could ever ask. And to be very personal with you, it's wrecking me because I can count and visually see the moments that I not only didn't represent Jesus, I think I modeled someone else that I don't want to talk about. If tomorrow I wake up and my only agenda is to show my wife Jesus, the rest of everything else, I think, takes care of itself. And if you're willing to consider the idea of every day making sure that your marriage somehow displays your creator, a sacrificial kind of a relationship, here's how you get to it. And it's not fun. A desire to sacrifice requires an attitude of humility. You have to not consider yourself the center of the world. That's why this is no fun. Because being the center of the world sounds like fun for a little bit. Let me show you in the Bible, it gives us some evidence of this. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. You know, I have to submit, stupid word. Just move on, David. Okay. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. That he may lift you up in due time. Let me steal two phrases 
favor and lift you up in due time. If that has any interest to you in the context of marriage or just life in general, then you'll have the thoughts, how do I be humble? How do I make sure I don't think I'm the number one person in the room? And when you're married, listen, when you're married, that's a difficult thing to do. I mean, in a group this size, shoot. Okay, okay, I'm not the number one person in the room, blah, 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 blah. But when you're with your spouse, sometimes you're like, well, maybe I am. I mean, I cleaned the whole house today. I mowed the lawn or whatever it is, and, or I've been taking care of the kids. I am. I have been making the most amount of effort in this. And it's easy to start thinking that you're the better one in the relationship, and it's easy then to remove the idea that you're showing Jesus. So I thought the best way to illustrate this was to give you a Fountain Springs story of a couple that was on the verge, if not already broken apart. And they were willing to be very honest with you, very open, very vulnerable with you. And they were willing to actually share with you their story. But here's how I want you to hear this. You will see it in whatever way you want to, so I'm ask a favor is that you listen to the words and look for the humility. Look for the humility in this, and you'll discover how to actually make till death do us part happen. Take a look at this story. As a child growing up, I was, uh, our family just attended church occasionally, Easter, Christmas, the occasional weekend with grandma and grandpa, but we just left it all there. It, it never went any further than that. Shortly after my grandfather died, in my teen years, we, uh, my father and I started attending church, pretty regular, the local Catholic church. We did that off and on until I was in high school. And then I kind of backed off and just kind of quit going to church altogether. I got married right out of high school. We were together about three years. We just kind of lived. Nothing really happened. It wasn't spectacular. We just lived. Shortly thereafter, we got divorced. Met my current wife, Amanda. We got married in 2008. We were together about three years and we're on the verge of getting a divorce. One of her friends actually told us about Fountain Springs, which brought us there. Started going, we loved it. Things were changing for us. We, uh, we'd been attending about four months when I got baptized. And I, I just gave it all to Jesus at that point. Shortly after I got baptized, I found out from Amanda that she had had an emotional affair. And in that process of her and I trying to rebuild things and, and move on, I admitted to her that I have an addiction to porn. And we've started really working on each other, trying to strengthen our marriage and, and how things are going. And, and we were deciding where to go and what to do. 
I feel like I had a moment where God said, you have to continue. You have to, you have to stay together. Your marriage is going to show people about Jesus. And that's, I think Amanda even has that feeling too, but that was where I was at. The, the emotional connections, the communications, even the intimacy is better between us two now. And I have to put that all because of the way we've changed our marriage. We're putting God first, wife second, children third. I believe in how I see God first now that not only my relationship with my wife, but my children, friends, family, etc., are excelling beyond words. Throughout my journey, if I had to pick one thing that I've learned or lived through in my life that I would want to pass on to anybody and everybody is that marriage is a relationship that you cannot give up on no matter what. And you have to you have to pursue it and you have to be there for your spouse in everything. Whether it's your intimate relationship to your emotionals, to even dealing with your kids, the way the way you project yourself is everything. Marriage is meant to put God in front of people in an incredible way. And that's why this messes with your view of marriage. Do you think it's a contract or a covenant? I'm going to be very honest with you right now, and some of you are not going to like what I'm about to say. If you're living together and you have not said vows in front of witnesses and God, you are trying to make a contract be a covenant, and it's not a covenant. And in fact, if you want to nerd out on information, Shanti who was here the first week, wrote a book. And in her book, The Good News About Marriage, in the chapter Till Death Do Us Part, you can open up and see stats that if you live together before you are married, you hurt the potential of Till Death Do Us Part actually happening. It's because marriage was never designed to be treated like a contract. 50-50, I better get what I deserve. It was designed to show what Jesus has done for us. And if you don't know, Jesus died for us. And you and I don't deserve that. In the least way, we, we don't deserve it. Marriage is meant to display Jesus. So for those of you who are married or one day hope to be married, and this is a hope of you, this is what you dream about, maybe you're like my daughter who just sees these, these fairy tales and just dreams, and I was like, nope, no boys till you're 37. Maybe you're dreaming of it. Maybe you're there right now in a marriage covenant. The best marriage advice I can give to you is to display Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus, if you're like, I don't know, listen, maybe your spouse doesn't. Maybe that's the contention in your relationship where you're, like, you're all about Jesus, but they're not. Keep showing them Jesus. 
But if you can, make Jesus the central part. So here's what I'd like to do. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And like we frequently do, I want you to have a conversation with God. And ask him, have I been showing you, God, to other people? Specifically, maybe for you, maybe your classmates, maybe your spouse. But I'll let you have a private conversation with God now. heads bowed and eyes closed, if you've never accepted the sacrifice that Jesus did for you, then perhaps this is that moment where you own it and you tell God, I believe that Jesus sacrificed for me, that that covers my sins. And if you're ready for that kind of a conversation with God, not declaring you'll be perfect, but that you'll rely on his perfection. And say these words to God, just privately, God, I'm sorry for my sins. And I accept today that you sacrificed for me. That you laid your life down for me. I believe. And now I walk in freedom from my sin. I love you, God. And I choose to follow you. Heavenly Father, I pray for our whole church. Wherever we stand and how well we display you, God, I pray that you'll convict us in the places that we're not good at and encourage us in the places that we actually are doing so. But God, we love you. May we be a church that shows the world how incredible you are. We pray this in your name. Amen.